Morning, church. God is good. All the time. You know, just uh, touching on what a couple of things I heard Pam say there. You know, and, and some of you probably already know this, but um, the number one reason uh, people give when, when they say, why don't you go to church? you know what the number one reason is why they don't go? Yeah. Nobody asked them. They weren't, they, they, they weren't invited to come. That's, that's the number one reason that they give, that no one asks us to come. And, and what, we've, what we found out, or what we've discovered is, uh, you know, it's, it, it's kind of more than just saying, you know, won't you come to the church? You know, we're here every, every Sunday, 11 o'clock, or come for Sunday school. But, but uh, because people are a little bit intimidated. They haven't been to church, right? They don't know. They don't know anybody there. They don't know where to sit, whatever. So a good thing to do is say, you know what? I'll come by and pick you up. You can ride with me. Or meet me in the parking lot. I'll meet you in the parking lot. You can walk in with me. That's what we call you bring people to church, you bring them on your arm. In other words, they walk in with you, they sit with you, you know, they're more comfortable doing that. But that's a good way to get people to come to church is just invite them and walk them in. Walk them in the front door. But it, is, it does look good, doesn't it, Pam, from up here? <laughs> it looks good to see, you know, people sitting in the pews. Amen? That's wonderful. If you, if you want to uh, read along with me, go to Mark chapter 5, uh, starting at verse 21. <clears throat> Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hand on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Large crowds followed him, pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his coat because she thought, if I could just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt her body, she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out of him. He turned around the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowded against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, John, the brother of James. And they came to the house 
of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw the commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talatha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At that they were completely astonished. He gave them strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Uh, <clears throat> probably most everyone here has, has heard uh, the expression that you will never find an atheist in a foxhole. Right, Frank? <laughs> Donnie? <laughs> I don't know anybody else in here that served in the military or not. But, I mean, that's that, that probably an old saying. I mean, you get in a foxhole and there's explosions going on or people shooting at you, you're going to find very few people that don't believe in God, right? And start doing some praying and hoping somebody is praying for them. Um, you know, when, when people face the possibility of death, uh, their thoughts about God will change real quick. Now, I've, I've never been in a foxhole, never served in the military, uh, but being a pastor for so many years, I have spent a lot of time in hospitals. And, and I have discovered that, that that's fairly true in hospitals also. When people's health begins to decline, when they're laying flat of their back in a hospital, that's when they're going to start seeking God. That's when they're going to start, start asking questions uh, and looking to God for answers. Uh, so in the scriptures this morning, this, this is pretty much the same, same issue and, and the good news in, in Mark's gospel lesson for this morning is, is the reaction of Jesus when he comes in contact with these people who you might say they're in their own personal foxhole. All right? He comes in contact with two people that are in their own personal foxhole. They're, they're in a, they find themselves in a time of desperation. Now, the chapters preceding this, we were in Mark last Sunday, if you remember Mark chapter 4. Uh, but in the chapters in, uh, preceding uh, Mark chapter 5, uh, you, you read about where Jesus does his first healing, where he calls his disciples, uh, the reaction of some people to some of his teachings. But here, in, 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 starting in Mark chapter 5, this is where Mark starts showing us some uh, specific miracles of Jesus. Uh, and, and it's important to remember um, that, that Mark, there, there is, uh, there's special consideration given uh, to the faith of people who are not necessarily followers of Jesus. Does that make sense? I want, I want you to be sure that you get that. He, Mark is pointing us there. He's showing us something that, that there were people uh, who had faith in Jesus that weren't necessarily his followers. But they'd heard about him, perhaps, they heard about some of the things he had done. Uh, I mean, you would expect his disciples to have faith in him. You would expect his family to have faith in him. But, but that really wasn't the case. Remember last week when they were in the boat? They didn't realize that God was in the boat with them, Frank. Remember, you and I were just talking about that a little bit ago. Uh, so in, in, in the gospel, a lot of times the 12 disciples, they were the last ones, it seemed like, to understand Jesus, to understand what he's trying to say, what he's doing. Instead, what Jesus would do at times, he would take ordinary people uh, and, and their faith, 
And he would, he would use that as teachable moments for his disciples. Now, parents, you've done that in raising your children. You've, you've, uh, you've allowed a certain situation that has happened to be a teachable moment for one of your children. Let me give you an example. When Adam was very young, just, just a baby, uh, he was absolutely fascinated by light bulbs, okay? I mean, he was. We would catch him all the time at the end table looking up underneath the, the lampshade at the light bulb and that little finger going just like that. And many times we kept, no, 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 don't. We'd sit in there, no, don't touch. Burn the baby. I don't know what all we'd say, but we'd try to get, but you know what? One day our back was turned just for a second and he let out a big squall and there he is with that little finger up in the air and there's a blister on the end of it. And Nancy and I didn't set him down and say, now we told you not to do that. <laughs> you know, we didn't do that. We got a little ice cube and we held it on his finger and we used that as a teachable moment. I guarantee you he never touched the light bulb again after that. He never touched the light bulb again uh, after that. We, uh, we had compassion for him, okay? So, so many times what Jesus would do we discover that he would take the faith of ordinary believers and use those as teachable moments for his chosen 12. And in today's scripture, we have two examples of people that are driven to Jesus, not necessarily because they're longing to be followers of Jesus, but they're driven to Jesus out of their desperation. You might say that they're in their own personal Foxhole, their own personal, hopeless, desperate situation, and, and, and they, they, they're coming to Jesus, all right? And we see that Jesus has compassion on them, right? He does. He has compassion on He's concerned about them. Now, early in Mark chapter 5, remember last week, chapter 4, they, they went across the other side of the lake to when they, they hit the storm. But what's on the other side of the lake? That's where the pagans live. And when they get to the other side of the lake, sure enough, here comes a man who has been demon-possessed for years. Scripture tells us he lives among tombstones. He lives in a graveyard, all right, in a cemetery. He screams, he yells all night long, all day long. He gets stones and, and cuts himself. But when he encounters Jesus, Jesus delivers him from that. They get back in the boat. They go back to the other side of the lake here in Mark chapter 5. So they go to the other side of the lake, and when they land, there's a large crowd of people there. And one of the people that's in the midst of this group is Jairus, who is a synagogue leader. And Jairus humbles himself. He comes before Jesus. He falls at his feet, and he begins to beg Jesus to come to his house to heal his daughter who is dying. Now, church, listen, from Scripture, we know that, that most of the time, these synagogue leaders, they were not followers of Jesus. They weren't. But you see, this man's in a desperate situation. This man's daughter is dying. And he comes to Jesus, and he falls on his feet. He's desperate. And he says in Mark chapter 5, verse 23, Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and, and live. Jesus doesn't say, no, forget it. You're not a follower of me. That's not what he does. He has compassion for him, and he goes to the man's house, all right, filled with compassion. Now, the Scripture tells us there's large crowds of people following Jesus, all right? And it tells us, Scripture does, in Mark chapter 5, verse 24, so Jesus went with him, large crowds followed and pressed around him. I think 
Mark is trying to paint us a picture here, church, all right? He's trying to paint us a picture. Mark wants us to understand that the, that the crowd is so, so large and, and the streets maybe are so narrow that they're, they're almost arm in arm as, as they walk down through the street. Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. I don't remember when it was, maybe back in the late 1970s. I don't remember when Elvis Presley came to the Charleston Civic Center. Did any of, anybody go to that? Yeah. 1977? Okay. All right. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to condemn anybody. If you went to ACLs, that's fine. Okay? <laughs> Actually, we may have went if we'd have been here, but we were on vacation. We were out of town. I never I remember what happened. Anyway, anyway. That was good. That was, uh, was it good? <laughs> there was a guy that I worked with in the mines. He went. Doug Tully. I'll never forget Doug. And Doug went to the went to this Elvis. Now, the thing that makes this so funny, you have to see Doug. Doug just about this tall, all right, and just about this big around, all right? But he's the greatest guy you ever want to meet. So he's telling us this story. They went to see Elvis, and he said, man, it was great. He had tickets on the main floor. He was just a few rows back from the stage, all right? So he says, he says we're sitting there, and I can tell this thing's about to wind down. He said, I can tell he's probably singing his last song, he said. And I'm looking around. He said, this thing is packed to the rafters, the Civic Center. It's packed to the rafters. And he said, I'm thinking, you know, right now we, we need to get out of here. And he said, I grabbed my wife by the hand and said, come on, let's go right now. And he got up and stepped out in the aisle. And he said, when he stepped out in the aisle, there were hundreds of women coming toward him rushing the stage. <laughs> Okay, and they're all, he said, they're all around me. He said, I can't even move. He said, in fact, my feet weren't even touching the floor. <laughs> he said, so I'm carried by these women that are going to the stage to see Elvis. And he said, they'd go to the left, I'd go to the left. They'd go to the right, I would go to the right. My feet, not even touching the floor, he said. Okay, I tell all of that to say this. I think that Mark is painting a picture here for us that there is a large crowd of people that says that they are pressing around him. People are hoping that they can see a miracle here. That's what they're hoping, they can see a miracle. Now, as they walk toward the house of Jairus, there is a woman who approaches this crowd of people and she wants to reach out and she wants to touch. I think in, old, in, uh, in King James, where he used to say that she just wanted to touch the hem of his garment. That's all she wanted to do. She just wanted to touch the hem of his garment. Like Jairus, she's motivated, not necessarily to be a follower, but out of her desperation because she's had this bleeding problem, Scripture says, for 12 long years. She has went to doctor after doctor for healing, but it only became worse, and she spent all the money she has. In Luke's gospel, Luke, Luke was a physician. Luke was a doctor. And Luke words it this way. said she spent all of her livelihood on physicians. So Luke knew that even back then, how a, a, a physical problem could drain the family's finances real, real quick. But, but not only that, not only has her condition caused her to suffer uh, physically, but it's causing her to suffer spiritually also. Because we know if you read in Leviticus, Old Testament Scripture, if you read in Leviticus chapter uh, 15, she would have been considered to be unclean, right? She would be, she would be considered to be unclean. The Jewish line of thinking is she's got this, this, this bleeding problem. If she touches anyone, that causes that person to be unclean as she is. Her condition 
allows her not to participate in worship. She would have had to uh, divorce her husband. She would have uh, been excluded from all social activities. All of her friends would have shunned her. She would have been, a, she would have been an outcast. She would have had none of her old friends that she could have hung around with. She would have been excommunicated. She would not have been allowed to be in any worship services in the synagogue and church. She has suffered this way for 12 long years. So this woman is driven to Jesus. Again, not necessarily to be a follower, but she's driven to Jesus. Why? Because she's desperate for 12 years she suffered with this, and she's desperate for healing. But now she sees this enormous crowd of people that are all pressing around Jesus. I mean, it's almost probably, I would imagine, Scripture doesn't say this, but I'm just kind of thinking about it, it's probably almost impossible to see him. But she knows he's there. And remember, because of her condition... She would have been embarrassed to be seen there, right? I, I, again, I can almost imagine, you know how young people today, you see them walk around, they have their hoodies pulled up over their head. I, I, that's, I kind of imagine her like this. She's got dark clothes. She'd have had no money. She's probably wearing raggedy clothes, probably has a, something pulled over her face so nobody will recognize her. She's ceremonially unclean. So she needs to do this secretly. Some way, somehow, she needs to get through this crowd of people and she needs to go and touch the hem of his garment. She wouldn't openly come up and ask him for healing because she's not supposed to be there. So as she fights her way through this crowd, Mark chapter 5, verse 20, 29, and meet, he, she reaches out and she touches the hem of his garment, verse 29, immediately her bleeding stopped and she fell in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Now, according to the thinking of the day, if she touched Jesus, that should have made him ceremonially unclean, right? But it didn't, right? Because he's God. Instead of making, her, making him unclean, it cleansed her. Just like you and I. When you and I come to Jesus with our sin, you know, I've, I've, listen, I have talked to people. Oh, my gosh, I have talked. Richard, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've done in my lifetime, and, and, and you want me to come to church, and you want me to ask Jesus to forgive me? I don't care what you've done. I don't care how many times you've done it, okay? None of that matters. The blood of Jesus Christ takes away all our sin. The blood, thank God for the blood of Jesus. Amen? Thank God for the precious blood of Jesus that was shed for you and I on Calvary's cross that day that takes away the sin of the world. I'm lost. I have no idea where I'm at here. Hang in here with me, all right? Okay. She touched him. Huh? She touched him. She touched him. <laughs> okay. So, even though this, this crowd of people, Jesus, there's a crowd, I mean, the people all around him everywhere, all right? And the only thing she does is just touch the hem of his garment. And Jesus stops with this mass of humanity around him, and he says, who, who, who touched me? Who touched me? And, 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 and I mean, this, this wasn't just a simple touch. This was someone who believed with all their heart that if they could just touch his clothing, she had enough faith to believe if she could just touch his clothing, that, that she would be healed. And she does. And he said, who touched me? And I can almost imagine the disciples saying something like, are you serious? Who, look at all these people around you. You want to know who touched? Everybody's touching you. 
Now, I don't know that they said that, but I, that's probably what I would have said. But the disciples didn't understand. Again, they don't understand the difference in a casual touch and a touch of faith. There is a difference there, church. And Jesus took time to stop and acknowledge this woman's great faith. And he says to her, verse 34, uh, verse 34 Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. Isn't that a great story? That is an awesome story. But poor Jairus, remember him? Yeah, he was the first one to come to Jesus, right? I mean, Jairus is standing here all of this time, and his daughter is home, and her life is slipping away. I mean, this would have been torture for him. I mean, he's, he's, he'd probably think, you know, come on, let, let's go, let, let, let's go. And sure enough, someone comes from his house and says, don't bother the master anymore, your daughter, your daughter is dead. I mean, I can imagine his heart sink, right? Parents, that's a, that's a parent's nightmare, isn't it? To lose one of our children. And no doubt, no doubt, Jerry has probably thought, I knew this was taking too long. I knew this was taking too long. We're standing here fooling with this, this woman. We, need, we needed to go. And now my situation is beyond hope. But I want you to look what Jesus says to Jairus in verse 36. Because Jesus hears what's going on. And Jesus turns around to Jairus and he tells him two things. Don't be afraid, just believe. Right? Don't be afraid, just believe. Jesus is telling Jairus, don't, don't, don't try to believe and be afraid at the same time. Don't, don't try to believe and figure all of this out. Don't try to believe and make sense of this delay. Church, listen, God doesn't ask you and I to figure it all out. He just asks us to trust, praise God, that he already has it all figured out. That's one reason I stopped watching the national news. There ain't nothing I can do about it. I just turn it over to someone who can. Amen. Amen. I just turn it over to him. Man, I can't tell you what a weight has been lifted off of my shoulders since November, the, whatever the day was after the election, whatever that was. All right? Just believe, Jesus says. Just believe. Jesus tells Jairus to ignore what he's just been told. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Jairus was supposed to believe the word of Jesus. Everything else around him tells him this is a hopeless situation now. His daughter is dead. So they go to the house of Jairus. Jesus enters the room and he takes with him the girl's parents and he takes with him Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John, is, is we, we usually call them the inner circle, right? I kind of wonder if they were the inner circle or I kind of wonder if maybe he just needed to keep a closer eye on those three than, than he did the rest of them. I don't, I don't know. That'd be a question we can ask him when we get to heaven. But anyway, he walks in. And he takes this 12-year-old girl by the hand, who's dead, church. She's not in a coma. She's dead. Scripture tells us. He takes her by the hand, and he says to this girl, get up. Now, Jesus is now touched with reality here. He's, he, he's not playing make-believe. You see, he knew of a higher reality, of a spiritual reality. 
One, one that's more powerful and more certain than death itself. And Jesus spoke to this dead girl as though she were alive because he's God. Listen to what Paul says, Romans chapter 4, verse 17. God gives life to the dead and calls those things that do not exist as though they did. God spoke to this young girl with the power of God and raised her from the dead. And this 12-year-old girl gets up and she starts walking around the room. You see, when he walks in the room with his disciples and the parents, people laugh at him, right? There's no laughing now. (laughs) They're standing there in amazement that this once dead girl is now alive. Now, I want you to notice the difference in these two stories, all right? I want you to notice that Jairus, how many many wonderful years did Jairus have with his daughter? Twelve years, all right? He had 12 wonderful years with her. The woman with an issue of blood was in total agony. For how long? 12 years. She was in agony for 12 years. Jairus was a very important man. He's a synagogue leader, all right? This woman with the issue of blood, we don't know her. They didn't even tell us her name. They didn't even give us her name. Jairus was very wealthy. He's, he's, He's an important man, so he's wealthy. This woman is living in poverty, She spent everything she has on doctors. Jairus came publicly to speak to Jesus. This woman with the issue of blood comes secretly, hidden, because she didn't want to be discovered as who she was. But church, I want you to understand something here this morning. I want you to understand there's more here than just two stories of Jesus performing another uh, act of, of healing. All right? Jesus or Jairus and this woman with the issue of blood are totally different in many different ways, but they were both in a desperate foxhole situation. Jairus feels the desperation of a parent that's about to lose a child. And I guarantee you, if our children are sick, we're going to do anything we can, right? We're going to do whatever we can to turn this situation around. The woman with the issue of blood is in a desperate situation. She's experienced this, this, this chronic, debilitating health issue, and she believes that Jesus is the only person left on this planet that's going to give her some hope. So both of them reach out in other faith, believing that Jesus is the answer to their situation. The faith of these two ordinary people is remarkable. It it really is because Jesus' own disciples and his own family members are struggling to believe who he is. And I I want you to take more home with you this morning than just a story about an incredible healing I want you to see something a little deeper. I want want you to notice the reaction of Jesus to Jairus and this woman. In both situations, he does more than heal them. He demonstrates that he's more than a magician. He's more than a miracle man. He has compassion for them. All right? You know, I I wasn't sure I was going to throw this in, but I think I will. Nancy and I were sitting on the porch the other evening. And there was a lady who went to our church at the time, we were, the church we were serving at the time. Her name was uh, Mrs. Vance. And she had, she had cancer. And they gave her one chemo treatment, and, and it just had a terrible reaction for her. And, and she was dying. She was in a coma. And her three daughters were there at the hospital with her every day. And they were just beside themselves. 
all three of these girls, good Christian girls, belong to church, go to church. And they were saying, you know, if mom could just, if she could just tell us what to do. Because the doctors, the nurses wanted to know, do you want to take her home? Let her live her last days home. Do you want to put her in a nursing home? Do you want her to stay here? And they were struggling with this. And they were praying about it. If she could just, if she could just tell us what to do. Because we want her final wishes to be carried out. Do you believe the next day she's sitting up in the bed? Yeah. The next day she's sitting up in the bed, carrying on a conversation with her three daughters. And they're saying, Mom, what, what do you want? Where do you want to go? She said, I'm, I'm fine right here in the hospital. You know, people are treating me fine here. And there's angels here. And they said, what? What, what do you mean there's an angel? And she said, there's one standing right at the foot of my bed. And they said, was that the only one you see? And she raised up and looked out the window and she said, no, they're all around this hospital. You see, God had compassion on these three daughters. He wouldn't have had to have done that. But he had compassion on them and he wanted them to be comforted knowing that the last hours of their mother's life here on earth was carried out the way she wanted it. What an awesome God we serve, church. What an awesome God we serve. I might as well just throw this thing away. I have no idea where I'm at. All right? <laughs> but you and I, I, you know, I've never been in a foxhole. Most of you haven't. But you know what? Almost every one of us, at least once in our life, we're going to find ourselves in a desperate situation. And I hope and pray that's not the first time you reach out to Jesus. But what this story tells us is, if it is, He's a compassionate God. He's a compassionate, long-suffering God who loves us. And He wants us to know that. I don't know where you are this morning, church. I don't know where you stand. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what you're dealing with. I, I, I bet I had four or five people last week tell me, because I, I had mentioned in the, at the end of the sermon, I said, I don't know who this was for, but I believe it was for somebody because the devil was fighting me over it. And I had so many people say, well, it's for me. It was for me. And I don't know who this was for this morning. I don't know what you're dealing with, what you might be struggling with. But you see, all you got to do is reach out to Jesus. All you got to do is reach out to Jesus. Just speak to Him. Pour your heart out to Him. Tell Him where you're at and what you need. And you know what? The throne room of heaven Almighty will resound with your voice. Your voice will be heard in the throne room of God. You believe that this morning? I believe that with all my heart. With everything that's within me, I believe that my voice has been heard in heaven. And he will hear your voice this morning. Whatever it is you're struggling with, whatever it is you're dealing with this morning, he is a compassionate, long-suffering God that wants to be by your side. Just like last week, he was in the boat with the disciples. Wherever you're at right now, he's with you. All you have to do is believe that and reach out in faith. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you. Lord, thank you so much for last week's sermon and this week's sermon that you have, you have shown us, Lord, in both of these passages of Scripture. Lord, that you are with us, that you care for us, that you are a, you are a long-suffering, compassionate, loving God. And Father, I just pray for each person here this morning. I don't know what, what people are struggling with, what they're dealing with in their own lives, in their personal lives. But Lord God, I know you are totally aware of it, completely aware. 
And I just pray for each one here this morning, Lord, if they just need the courage to just speak out to you. Lord, just, just putting the past in the past, whatever they may have done, Lord, that, that doesn't matter to you. You see, you paid the price for all of our sins on the cross of Calvary. You paid the price. All we need to do now is turn to you and acknowledge that and accept you as our Lord and Savior. Lord, if there's one person here this morning who needs to pray, I pray that you give them the courage to come and pour their heart out to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.